0: Section sixteen of How the Other Half Lives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenever. How the Other Half Lives by Jacob Rees. Chapter sixteen The Common Herd. Part two. Every once in a while, a case of downright starvation gets into the newspapers and makes a sensation, but this is the exception. Were the whole truth known, it would come home to the community with a shock that would rouse it to a more serious effort than the spasmodic undoing of its purse-strings. I am satisfied from my own observation that hundreds of men, women, and children are every day slowly starving to death in the tenements with my medical friend's complaint of quote, improper nourishment. Close quote. Within a single week, I have had this year three cases of insanity provoked directly by poverty and want. One was that of a mother who, in the middle of the night, got up to murder her child, who was crying for food. Another was the case of an Elizabeth Street truck driver, whom the newspapers never heard of. With a family to provide for, he had been unable to work for many months. There was neither food nor a scrap of anything upon which money could be raised left in the house. His mind gave way under the combined physical and mental suffering. In the third case I was just in time with the police to prevent the madman from murdering his whole family. He had the sharpened hatchet in his pocket when we seized him. He was an Irish laborer and had been working in the sewers until the poisonous gases destroyed his health. Then he was laid off, and scarcely anything had been coming in all winter but the oldest child's earnings as cash-girl in a store. $2.50 a week. There were seven children to provide for, and the rent of the Mulberry Street attic in which the family lived was $10 a month. They had borrowed as long as anybody had a cent to lend. When at last the man got an odd job that would just buy the children bread, the week's wages only served to measure the depth of their misery. It came in so on the tail end of everything, said his wife in telling the story with unconscious eloquence. The outlook worried him through sleepless nights until it destroyed his reason. In his madness he had only one conscious thought, that the town should not take the children. "'Better that I take care of them myself,' he repeated to himself as he ground the axe to an edge. Help came in abundance, for many almost as poor as they, when the desperate straits of the family became known through his arrest.' the readiness of the poor to share what little they have with those who have even less is one of the few moral virtues of the tenements their enormous crowds touch elbow in a closeness of sympathy that is scarcely to be understood out of them and has no parallel except among the unfortunate women whom the world scorns as outcasts there is very little professed sentiment about it to draw a sentimental tear from the eye of romantic philanthropy THE HARD FACT IS THAT THE INSTINCT OF SELF-PRESERVATION IMPELS THEM TO MAKE COMMON CAUSE AGAINST THE COMMON MISERY. NO DOUBT INTEMPERANCE BEARS A LARGE SHARE OF THE BLAME FOR IT, JUDGING FROM THE STANDPOINT OF THE POLICEMAN PERHAPS THE GREATER SHARE. TWO SUCH ENTRIES, AS I READ IN THE POLICE RETURNS ON SUCCESSIVE DAYS LAST MARCH, OF MOTHERS IN WEST-SIDE TENEMENTS WHO IN THEIR DRUNKEN SLEEP LAY UPON AND KILLED THEIR INFANTS, GO far TO SUPPORT SUCH A POSITION and they are far from uncommon. But my experience has shown me another view of it, a view which the last report of the Society for Improving the Condition of the Poor seems more than half inclined to adopt in allotting to intemperance the cause of distress or distress the cause of intemperance forty percent of the cases it is called upon to deal with. Even if it were all true, I should still load over upon the tenement the heaviest responsibility a single factor the scandalous scarcity of water in the hot summer when the thirst of the million tenants must be quenched if not in that in something else has in the past years more than all other causes encouraged drunkenness among the poor but to my mind there is a closer connection between the wages of the tenement and the vices and improvidence of those who dwell in them than with the guilt of the tenement upon our heads, we are willing to admit even to ourselves. Weak tea with a dry crust is not a diet to nurse moral strength. Yet how much better might the fare be expected to be in the family of this widow with seven children, very energetic and prudent, I quote again from the report of the Society for the Improvement of the Condition of the Poor, whose Eldest girl was employed as a learner in a tailor shop at small wages, and one boy had a place as cash in a store. There were two other little boys, who sold papers and sometimes earned one dollar. The mother finishes pantaloons and can do three pairs in a day, thus earning thirty-nine cents. Here is a family of eight persons, with rent to pay and an income of less than six dollars a week." and yet she was better off in point of pay than this sixth-street mother, who had just brought home four pairs of pants to finish at seven cents a pair. She was required to put the canvas in the bottom, basting and sewing three times around, to put the linings in the waistbands, to tack three pockets, three corners to each, to put on two stays and eight buttons and make six buttonholes, to put the buckle on the back strap and sew on the ticket, all for seven cents better off than the church-going mother of six children and with the husband sick to death who to support the family made shirts averaging an income of one dollar and twenty cents a week while her oldest girl aged thirteen was employed downtown cutting out hamburg edgings at one dollar and a half a week two and a half cents per hour for ten hours of steady labor making the total income of the family two dollars and seventy cents per week than the harlem woman who was making a brave effort to support a sick husband and two children by taking in washing at thirty-five cents for the lot of fourteen large pieces finding coal soap starch and blueing herself rather than depend on charity in any form specimen wages of the tenements these seemingly inconsistent with the charge of improvidence but the connection on second thought is not obscure there is nothing in the prospect of a sharp unceasing battle for the bare necessities of life to encourage looking ahead everything to discourage the effort improvidence and wastefulness are natural results the installment plan secures to the tenant who lives from hand to mouth his few comforts the evil day of reckoning is put off till a tomorrow that may never come When it does come with failure to pay and the loss of hard-earned dollars, it simply adds another hardship to a life measured from the cradle by such incidents. The children soon catch the spirit of this sort of thing. I remember once calling at the home of a poor washerwoman living in an east-side tenement and finding the door locked. Some children in the hallway stopped their play and eyed me attentively while I knocked. The biggest girl volunteered the information that Mrs. Smith was out, but while I was thinking of how I was to get a message to her, the child put a question of her own. "'Are you the spring man or the clock man?' When I assured her that I was neither one nor the other, but had brought work for her mother, Mrs. Smith, who had been hiding from the installment collector, speedily appeared." Perhaps of all the disheartening experiences of those who have devoted lives of unselfish thought and effort, and their number is not so small as often supposed, to the lifting of this great load, the indifference of those they would help, is most puzzling. They will not be helped. Dragged by main force out of their misery, they slip back again on the first opportunity, seemingly content only in the old rut the explanation was supplied by two women of my acquaintance in an elizabeth street tenement whom the city missionaries had taken from their wretched hovel and provided with work and a decent home somewhere in new jersey in three weeks they were back saying that they preferred their dark rear womb to these stumps out in the country but to me the oldest the mother who had struggled along with her daughter making cloaks at half a dollar apiece twelve long years since the daughter's husband was killed in a street accident and the city took the children made the bitter confession we do get so kind of downhearted living this way that we have to be where something is going on or we just can't stand it and there was sadder pathos to me in her words than in the whole long story of their struggle with poverty for unconsciously she voiced the sufferings of thousands misjudged by a happier world, deemed vicious because they are human and unfortunate. It is a popular delusion, encouraged by all sorts of exaggerated stories when nothing more exciting demands public attention, that there are more evictions in the tenements of New York every year than in all Ireland. I am not sure that it is doing much for the tenant to upset this fallacy. To my mind, to be put out of a tenement would be the height of good luck, the fact is however that evictions are not nearly as common in new york as supposed the reason is that in the civil courts the judges of which are elected in their districts the tenant voter has solid ground to stand upon at last the law that takes his side to start with is usually twisted to the utmost to give him time and save him expense in the busiest east side court that has been very appropriately dubbed the poor man's court Fully 5,000 dispossessed warrants are issued in a year, but probably not 50 evictions take place in the district. The landlord has only one vote, while there may be 40 voters hiring his rooms in the house, all of which the judge takes into careful account as elements that have a direct bearing on the case. And so they have, on his case. There are sad cases just as there are rounders who prefer to be moved at the landlord's expense and save the rent, but the former, at least, are unusual enough to attract more than their share of attention. If his very poverty compels the tenant to live at a rate, if not in a style, that would beggar a Vanderbilt, paying four prices for everything he needs, from his rent and coal down to the smallest item in his housekeeping account, fashion no less inexorable in the tenements than on the avenue, extracts of him that he must die in a style that is finally and utterly ruinous. The habit of expensive funerals, I know of no better classification for it than along with the opium habit and similar grievous plagues of mankind, is a distinctively Irish inheritance, but it has taken root among all classes of tenement dwellers, curiously enough most firmly among the Italians, who have taken amazingly to the funeral coach, perhaps because it furnishes the one opportunity of their lives for a really grand turnout with a free ride thrown in. It is not at all uncommon to find the hordes of a whole lifetime of hard work and self-denial squandered on the empty show of a ludicrous funeral parade and the display of flowers that ill comports with the humble life it is supposed to exalt. It is easier to understand the wake as a sort of consolation cup for the survivors, for whom there is, as one of them, doubtless a heathenish pessimist, put it to me once, no such luck. The press and the pulpit have denounced the wasteful practice that often entails bitter want upon the relatives of the one buried with such pomp, but with little or no apparent result. Rather, the undertaker's business prospers more than ever in the tenements since the genius of politics has seen its way clear to make capital out of the dead voter as well as of the living by making him the means of a useful show of strength and count of noses. One free excursion awaits young and old, whom bitter poverty has denied the poor privilege of the choice of the home and death they were denied in life. The ride up the sound to the potter's field charitably styled the city cemetery but even there they do not escape their fate in the common trench of the poor burying-ground they lie packed three stories deep shoulder to shoulder crowded in death as they were in life to save space for even on that desert island the ground is not for the exclusive possession of those who cannot afford to pay for it there is an odd coincidence in this that year by year the lives that are begun in the gutter The little nameless waifs whom the police pick up and the city adopts as its wards are balanced by the even more forlorn lives that are ended in the river. I do not know how or why it happens, or that it is more than a mere coincidence, but there it is. Year by year the balance is struck, a few more, a few less, substantially the same when the record is closed. End of section 16 Recording by Phil Chenever, Baton Rouge, Louisiana.